If you would bow in prayer with me before we open God's word together. Lord, we thank you for this day, what it means, the truth that we proclaim, that we get to gather to worship a risen Savior and a risen Lord. And for that, we thank you. We pray this morning that as we consider what you've accomplished for us, what it means for us, that you would show us clearly the magnitude of the truths we proclaim. Pray that as we open your word, that you would lead and guide and teach us that you would take this, apply it to our hearts and our minds, that you would show us clearly the glory that is to come because of what you've done for us, that you would show us that afresh. I pray that you would uh, uh, just give us uh, a clarity uh, in my, my words as we open your word. I pray that you would speak directly through your spirit to each heart here, showing, revealing the magnitude of who you are and what you've done. We thank you. Thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus precious name. Amen. Uh, I would just start with asking the question, how many of you uh, read the news regularly? Uh, I think quite a few people, some of you, uh, maybe even a few of you, I don't know if this even exists anymore, but maybe some of you still take a newspaper, Uh, maybe look at a newspaper or look, uh, turn on the TV, watch it on the television or whatever it is. I I personally will look at the news, kind of the headlines uh, every second or third day. I don't look at it every day. but I'll look at it on a website or I'll read the headlines and read a few articles and different things. And I usually listen, look at it every second or third day because, to be honest, it's really, really depressing. I just don't like to look at it after a while because every time I do, it's basically some variation of the exact same thing that I looked at it last time. And so uh, American newspapers and where we are and websites that I look at, I'll see that politicians are fighting and they don't get along. That's always there. And then I'll I'll often see um, some natural disaster or some uh, horrible thing that's happened, like uh, a plane crash that just happened that was in the headlines. You'll see those kind of things. And then you'll read on down and then you'll see an awful uh, mix of just terrible brutality, horrible persecution going on in the world and all sorts of things. And you can read those headlines and you look at that. And what I usually come to is, man, the world is a mess. I start to look at that. Maybe you dispute that to some degree, but I think everyone would agree that at the very least, there's some significant issues with the world and the way things are going right now. And it doesn't take long looking through those headlines to see that, that there's some significant issues. And so I just want to ask the question this morning, if you've ever thought about why that is, why is the world such a mess? Why are there so many issues? Why are the headlines such as they are and these things happening and all that's going on around us. And so this morning, what I want us to do is to consider for just a minute what Scripture tells us why that is, why there are problems, why there are uh, mess in the world, why it looks like it does. But then I also want us to turn our focus and consider why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the answer to all those problems. We actually have the answer. And that's what we celebrate today. And so that's what we're going to do this morning just for a few minutes. We're going to consider what's wrong, but then we're also going to consider how the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the answer to all of it. And so this morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. If you're visiting with us today in the seats in front of you, our pew Bibles, you're welcome to follow along. In that Bible there, we will be on page 613, 613 in Romans chapter 8. I say this every week, but if you're visiting with us, or maybe you don't listen that closely to what I say, 
those Bibles are there for the taking. We'd love for you to take anyone that you know needs a Bible or if you yourself need one, please take that with you. We'd love for you to take that. And so that Bible is there for you to take. And so uh, please take them as you need. So uh, Romans 8, page 613. Uh, oftentimes we will describe and you will hear uh, in Christian circles anyway, when we talk about Romans 8, oftentimes it'll be considered the greatest chapter in all the Bible. Now, that's debatable. There's a lot of wonderful chapters in the Bible, but the theology and what is presented for us in Romans 8 is incredible. And so we're going to look at just part of that chapter today. But let me set the scene for you. If you've been with us, we've been walking through a series on prayer. We're actually going to set that aside for this week just for Easter. We will go back to that next week. But we're going to step into Romans 8 this morning. And so let me just kind of set the scene. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the early church in Rome. And he lays out some incredible theology and Paul does it very systematically, very logically. He works his way straight through. And so when you read through Romans and you begin to see what Paul says, he tells us very clearly that we were all made to be in relationship with God. That we were made to be uh, knowing him and loving him and walking with him, but we've turned away from him. That is, we've sinned. We've ignored God and the world he created and we've broken off that relationship. And because of that, God's very wrath rests on us. We have no excuse for doing so because we know in our conscience, in our minds, in creation that God exists. But yet we've done so. But then in chapter three, he says, yes, that's the case. And that's all of us. And we can't fix it. But God's fixed it for us. And so then he begins to unfold that by faith you are saved. It's always been that way. We always respond to God in faith. That's the way we relate to him. And then he begins to unfold what it looks like to live in light of that. And he says some remarkable things. He says we'll still struggle even when we become a believer. We'll want to go back to not believing God and not trusting him, but that he's still faithful. And you get to chapter eight and he just unfolds this incredible thing. And I think he tells us. In chapter eight, what it's like and how we live in this world and what's wrong with it. And that's what I want us to consider this morning. And so these are the questions I want us to ask. We're mostly going to spend our time in verses one to eleven. We're also going to look at 18 to 22 for just a second. But as we look at that, here's what I want us to ask. First, what is wrong with the world? Secondly, how is the resurrection of Jesus Christ the answer to it all? And then lastly, how should we live in light of that? So what's wrong? How is Jesus the answer? How should we live in light of that? And so let's just start with what's wrong in the world. And so look at verse 19, what he says there in verse 19. Romans chapter 8, verse 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And so when I read the news and I see what's going on in the world today and then I read Romans 8 and I see the way Paul describes it, that's a pretty good description. Bondage to corruption groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. We see that all around us. We see that everywhere we look. And that's a pretty good descriptor the way Paul says it. But the question I want us to ask is why? Right? That's a good description. But why is it the case? Why is it uh, in bondage to corruption? Why is it groaning as it is? 
And as we look through Scripture and we start to unfold this, we see this all the way through Scripture. Paul tells us very clearly in Romans chapter 1 as you walk through this letter that he wrote. And it's the same thing Scripture says over and over. The problem that is there is we have decided to ignore God and the world he created. He would say it in Romans 1. Uh, it's in Romans 1 in verse, uh, let's see, 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Or in another words, we've exchanged the creator for the creation or the immortal for the mortal. Or we could say the infinite for the finite. And that's the issue, that's the problem in our world, the way the scriptures lay that out. The reason that we're groaning, the reason that we see all these things is we've moved God from his rightful place and we've put man created things in his place. Uh, You see it right here in Romans 8. Look at what he says there in uh, verse uh, 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those that live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And so he says, when you set your mind on the created, the finite instead of the infinite, and you make your whole world orbit around that, it is death. It's going to crumble. It's going to come down on top of you. Think for just a second that picture of exchanging the infinite for the finite and what happens. Just think about the word infinite for a second. Do you have a definition? Sometimes it helps to think of the definitions of words as you think about it. infinite means limitless, unable to measure. And so when we try to think of infinite or eternal, the things that it tells us that scripture tells us that God is, we can't fully fathom that because we're finite. We can try. We can think about it. Uh, I remember as a child sitting on my bed and thinking about eternity and saying forever and ever And ever and ever. And I just keep saying it as long as I could. And you still can't quite get there because your mind can't fully comprehend it because we're finite. But what happens when you take an infinite God, eternal, and you begin to put a finite person or thing or place in his place? Big, big problems. It's not going to end well. And that's what scripture says is happening as we read through. We've exchanged the infinite for the finite. It helps me. Maybe this helps you. Uh, my undergraduate degree is in architecture. So sometimes I think of t- things in terms of structures and different things like that. But as I think of exchanging things, messing them up, kind of turning them upside down, I think of the way we build houses today. If you're familiar, like if you go in the fellowship hall and you look back there and you start to look closely, what you'll see is the building is built on a great big giant slab of concrete. It's the foundation. The common port, if you've ever seen them build houses, that's the way we build them today. We we take big slabs of concrete and then we take sticks, two by fours, and we build the house on top of it. And so the weight is on the bottom and the lighter things are on top and the, the weight on the bottom, the concrete supports it. And so I want you to think if you take a house and you flip it upside down, what would happen? The concrete is now on the top. The foundation is up here and it's being held up by the little skinny sticks. What would happen? It would collapse. It would begin over time to completely collapse all the way down and crush the entire thing. 
That is what's happening to our world because we've decided to remove the infinite from his rightful place and put the finite in its place. We are now upside down. And scripture reveals to us that that is the case, that we have decided to remove God from his rightful place and to put man, finite things, ourselves in his place. And so the picture that Paul describes here, everything's now out of whack. It's groaning. We see that in everything. There's corruption. You turn on the news and you see people being beheaded and you say, what in the world is wrong? It's because we've removed the infinite from his rightful place. We remove the eternal God and we've put men in his place. And so the whole thing is collapsing down. That's what's wrong with the world. You don't have to turn on the news to know this. You can and you see it around us. And it kind of brings home the point. But the truth is, each and every one of us knows in our own heart this struggle of what happens when you put the finite in the place of the infinite. We struggle for significance in our own heart, in our own life and what's going on with me. We struggle for meaning in our lives when we make ourselves the center of our world. We will always struggle because we cannot bear the weight of that position when we put ourselves in the center. There's a television program I've started to watch. Just I've only seen it three times now, but I've started to kind of like it. It's called uh, Off Camera with Sam Jones. If you've ever heard of the show, all it is is a long uh, form kind of interview thing. Guy interviews different artists, politicians, uh, filmmakers, all different things, musicians. And it's just an hour long interview. It's nothing. All it is is two guys sitting there talking. And uh, the reason I like it, though, is because it's an hour long, every single one of them, as they go over different people's careers and what they've been about and what they've done and all those things, it always gets to the meaning of their life. Or the the three episodes I've watched, they talk about their mortality and what will be their lasting impact and all these kind of things. And so I was watching it just this week. And they had a, a young man named Ethan Hawke on there. Ethan Hawke is an actor. If you know who he is, it, it doesn't really matter if you do or you don't. He's a very accomplished actor. I think he says in the show that he's in his mid-40s. He's been nominated for an Academy Award. He's been on Broadway. He's been in all these different things. He's written, directed. He's done a lot of things. By every standard, we'd say he's an extremely accomplished young man. And as he sat there and they talked about these things, the guy was asking him questions about the things he does and the projects he picks and why he does them and all those kind of things. And he gets to this thing in the middle and he goes, well, now I'm in my 40s and I realize, like, I'm going to die. He actually says that in the thing. I'm going to die. And so now I'm this pressing in on me that I need to leave my mark. I need to do something. And he talks about being a child actor. And he says, as a child actor, I was always the guy that has potential. I have all this potential and everybody's looking at me because I'm really young. He's like, I can't really live on potential anymore. I'm to the age where I need to produce and I need to do something. And so he starts to flesh out this picture of what he's talking about. I need to do something. I need to make my mark. I know I'm going to die. He's being faced with his mortality. But here's the problem. And you can see it all over his face in this interview. Verse six here says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. You see it all over Ethan Hawke in this interview. He's coming to grips that he's trying to validate his existence by what he does. And it scares him to death. I'm going to die. 
When we make ourselves the very center of our existence, it is a never ending hamster on a wheel trying to earn, trying to validate, trying to show, look at what I'm doing and look at who I am and I'm good enough and all those things that come flooding in and we can't do it. The reason when we make ourselves the center is we've got it upside down. We've exchanged the infinite for the finite, and that's going to cause all kinds of problems in our life. Scripture tells us that so clearly over and over and over again. When you make yourself the center, it's terrifying because you can't do it. It's the same, and it takes all different forms in our life. It's the same thing when we make relationships be the way we identify ourselves. If I just find the right person and I get married, everything will be great. You're still saying my existence will be uh, brought together by a finite person. They can't do it. They will never be able to do it. And as long as we keep doing and going to those things, it'll be verse six to set the mind on the flesh as death. It's going to crush you under the weight of seeking to do that. It's the same with your spouse. It's the same with your children. It's the same with your job. It's the same with your house, your car, whatever you make the center of your life. It will not be able to stand up to the weight. Can't do it. Now, please hear me. Spouses, children, your job, those are all good gifts that God gives you. But when you seek to identify yourself by those things, it cannot stand up to the weight. It can't do it. And so the problem that we see that Scripture tells us throughout uh, all the way through is that when we exchange the truth of God, when we exchange our creator for the creation, the immortal for the mortal, the infinite for the finite, it turns everything upside down and it starts to collapse down on you. Now, what we do is we often try to justify ourselves by just working harder. Well, I want to leave an, a lasting impact, right? The, the words of, of Ethan Hawke, the actor, say, man, I, I just want to do more. Right? I want to make sure I feel the weight of this and so I'm going to work harder. But what Scripture tells us, what it says right there in verse 3, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. What he's saying is when you in your flesh make yourself the sinner and you try to get your validation by what you do, you cannot do it. You'll never get there. You'll try and try and try. You'll accomplish a lot in your job and then you retire. You'll buy a bigger house and then all your kids move out and then you're sitting there by yourself in your big house. No matter how we try to do those things, it will never be enough. But yet we continue to do that. But look at what it tells us. God is so gracious that he's built in the futility of that. Look at what he says in verse 20. For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. You understand what that's saying? It's saying when you feel the futility of making yourself in the center and everything kind of starts to crush down on you, God designed creation that way because he loves you. He doesn't want you to settle. These things will never, ever, ever be able to complete you. And so he lets you feel the weight of it, the futility of seeking to make other things be in his place. It says he is the one that subjected creation to this futility and he did it in hope. 
to point you to there's something so much greater. And so when we do that and we continue to thumb our nose at God and say, I'll be the sinner and I'll do it on my own and I'll continue to do that. What scripture tells us is that God's wrath rests on you. We don't like to hear that. Be honest, I actually thought about, well, I could kind of leave that part out. It is Easter after all, and I want to make sure it's all about Jesus and the resurrection. I'll just leave the wrath part out. But the good news is not good news if you don't understand what Jesus saved us from. And so God's wrath rests on us when we ignore him. That is, God is angry at our sin because it's not what's best for us. God's wrath is actually born out of his love. It's like when you get upset at your kids for doing something they're not supposed to do. Right. One of the times I raise my voice with my children is when Quinn doesn't hold my hand in the parking lot. I yell at him and I grab his hand because I don't want him to get run over. God's wrath is born from his love, because when we exchange him for other things, we're going down a path that will never satisfy And so God's wrath rests on us in our sin and we will never, ever be able to fix that issue. That's what this is saying in Romans 8. When you begin to seek to earn your way to God, when you seek to do it on your own, you will never get there. He says for the verse, uh, let's see, verse seven, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You hear what he's saying? When you seek to earn your worth before God, you can't do it. It's impossible. Try as you might. It's Easter. I'll go to church. Then God will be pleased with me. You can't do it. You can never earn your way to God. We've got it backwards. We're still operating in an upside down world when we do that. We are made to have God be the sinner, the finite, I mean, the infinite be the sinner, not the finite. And when we say I'm going to earn my way, I'm starting with the finite instead of the infinite. And it doesn't work. No matter how much you try, you can't do it. And so the problem that we see in all the world and in everything, all the struggles that we have come back to that we're still shifting the focus from the infinite to the finite. That's always the problem. So how is the resurrection of Jesus Christ the answer to that? How is that the case? So look at what Romans says in verse one of chapter eight. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. You're trying to earn Trying to make your way back to God is the sin and death part. You can't do it. And so it says Jesus has set you free from that. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Do you hear what he says? Jesus has done what you cannot do for you. Instead of making yourself the sinner, Jesus comes and says, I'll do it for you. And you make me the sinner. We will turn it right side up. I'll do what you can never do for you. And so he does. 
He comes and He lives the perfect life. Each and every day He lives in complete and total dependence on the Father, making it all about Him in everything He does, every single day of His life perfectly. And then He gets to the end, and we celebrated this as we came together on Good Friday, and He said, even though I deserve all the blessings and all the good that should come from that, I will gladly take all your mistakes and all your mess on Me, and I will bear it on Myself on the cross, and I will give you my good works. I will give you my righteousness. He says, I will undo this problem for you. You are upside down right now. I will set you right side up. I will put it back to the way it's supposed to be. And so he does it for us. And so in doing so, he sets us free from all of this. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. And so he saves us of no doing of our own. He does what we could never do. And so now in the resurrection of Jesus, the completed work of what he's done, we no longer have to seek significance by placing ourselves at the center, which is futility anyway. You don't have to be the center anymore. It's not about you. It's about what God has done for you. And so he comes and does it. He graciously, lovingly says, I'll take all your mess and all your sins and I will take them on me. I will pay for them. I will do away with it and I will set you right side up that you can have a relationship with God. You can come directly to him and it's all because of what Jesus has done. That is what we celebrate at Easter. God did what we could never do on our behalf. And so look at what verse six says to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Because of what Jesus has done for you, you can now have life. You can now be turned right side up. You can now begin to function with him as the center of all there is the way things were made to be. He removes that futility and that frustration and all that goes in it. And so when we read this morning in Matthew 28 and they come to the tomb and it's empty. He's not there. He's risen. It shows us that there is a new life available. Jesus has undone it. All that we couldn't do. We deserve death. God's wrath rests on us. Jesus takes it. And now he says it does no longer has to be God's wrath, but it's eternal life through what Christ has done. And this new life is available to us. And he gives it to us at great cost to himself that we can now take by grace through faith. And, and just think about the picture. So we say all the time we're saved by faith alone, by grace alone in Christ alone, because it makes him the center of everything. Which he was always meant to be the center of everything. And when we put ourselves in the center, it falls apart. And now he allows us to come back and he is back in his rightful place. As we trust him, we put our faith in him. And so Christ does what we could never do for us. And so the problem we see is simply this. We've ignored him. We've exchanged him for the finite. We've ignored the immortal God and focused on mortal men. And now he's come and he's turned us right side up and he's done what we can never do for us. And he gives it to us as grace. Through grace, by faith. 
And so the last thing I want us to think is how do we live in light of this? And I'll be very brief. Two things I want you to see and think about. First of all, if you're here today and you came because it's Easter, God knows why you're here. There's no uh, pointing. I'm not pointing anybody out. God knows your heart. He knows exactly why you're here. If you're here because of Easter and you feel like I had to go. I'm here out of duty because, well, it's the thing to do because it's Easter. And yet your life is you're still living upside down. Your life is making at your job, your family, your car, your house, your whatever is the center of your existence. And you're still living upside down. Please hear me. God knows your mess. He knows how you're struggling. He knows the futility that comes with that. And he says, I love you. I love you deeply and I will gladly take all your mess and I will turn you right side up. You come to me and you give me all of it and I will take it and I will restore you. Jesus says, come to me, all you that are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Everything you're looking for is found in your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I can't say it any more clearly than that. And so if that's you today and God's tugging at your heart and he's opening your eyes and he's seeking to show you that and you know there's futility in the way you've been going about it, don't leave without addressing those concerns. I would love nothing more than to spend my entire Easter Sunday afternoon talking to you about how Jesus loves you. Because it's the answer to every problem you have. But if you're here today and you came, you said, I came to celebrate the resurrection because I know what Jesus has done for me. I hope that's many here today that you came excited that Jesus has done all that I couldn't do. And I want to celebrate it. Read verse 11 with me and really think about what this says. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Do you hear that? If you have put your faith in Jesus, the very spirit that brought him from death to life has done the same thing in you. And he wants to do a miraculous work and to use you in incredible ways for his glory. It makes no sense given everything that we just said, to live with Jesus over here in the corner. It makes no sense to leave, to live with him as something we just come together and talk about on Sunday morning. But it makes perfect sense, if this is God's truth, that he would be the thing that our entire life centers around every single day, moment by moment, minute by minute. doesn't make any sense any other way. And so let us celebrate as we go today, seeing that our whole existence is defined and brought together and held together by what Jesus has done and nothing else. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you what you've done for us on our behalf, what we could never do ourselves. And for that, all we can do is say thank you. We thank you for the truth of the empty tomb that we serve a risen Lord who gladly and willingly took our sin on himself, that did away with it, that by faith we have been saved through his grace and what he's done. And for that, we thank you. We pray that we would live out of that reality each and every day.
We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.